0: Can you go back to the Hosanna song at the, I think it was the bridge point. Uh, open up my eyes part. Yeah. Uh, man, what a, what a perfect song kind of to, to lead us in this morning in just this prayer. But open up my eyes to the things unseen. Can you go to the next one? And show me how to love like you have loved me. It's really what captures where we're going this morning. Uh, We're continuing our series in Joshua. Uh, We're going to be in Joshua chapter 3. We're going to be looking at one particular verse. If you were here last week, I did say we're going to speed up a little bit, and we are. But we really need to stop and pause on this one verse in Joshua chapter 3, the command that Joshua calls upon the people of Israel, and it's in verse 5. If you want to find it, you can also see it up here. If you sat in the back and you don't have... Uh, the best eyesight. I'm going to walk through this. I apologize. Um, Feel free if you want to move closer. I mean, we will, I mean, front row is wide open, right? So, uh, um, you'll understand all this here in a second. If you're a note taker, then you're probably going to love it, but um, I don't want this to be like a, uh, a class setting where instructional video type of thing this is just closest thing i have to a smart board so uh, but it's better than like remember those little flannel graph things yeah they were. The, if you don't remember that then you were blessed i guess in a way but um, we've had a, a busy month at harvest hill uh, june has been a, a incredibly busy month a very good month uh, we started june off with our mission project the early childhood center uh, for those who helped out with that and in and, and any sort of way, then thank you. Uh, you probably don't want to paint again for a while, um, but it, it, we, we got it done. We had Camp Revolution took place just uh, two weeks ago. I mean, that's crazy how, how fast that has gone. Vacation Bible School, as you can kind of see around here, uh, took place this last week. We had a great week for that, and just want to extend again a thank you for the prayers and the, the participation and just the the financial giving as well for helping some of our students get off to camp, all these things took preparation. They don't just happen. Um, we don't just put them on the calendar and we're like, all right, when, we, when it comes, it's, it's going to go. And I, I think we understand that. But uh, you know, the mission project that we did at the beginning of the month uh, began conversating um, in January. Uh, that's when that conversation began happening and. Uh, meeting with the superintendent and some of the faculty over at school about how can we as a church help you that's what all we wanted to do we did not want any sort of a plot. we just wanted to help the school out in any way we could and uh, that so that came to fruition over a course of several months in prayer and just continue that conversation vacation bible school uh, actually began about this time last year as we began thinking about this next year and you know who would like to lead it and take it on and terry and steph took that on Uh, and they i think they did awesome i know they did not do it for applaud but i think they deserve one Um, you know they didn't just show up at six o'clock when it started uh this was weeks and weeks of hands-on preparation here at the church it was months of prayer and going through stuff and meeting and talking and getting together and and i think we understand camp revolution wasn't something that oh let's just show up down in arkansas and see what happens i mean jason had driven up to kansas city and had meetings up there and so um, preparation we all understand preparation um, in our life we understand you know we prepare for vacation we prepare where we're going to go what we're going to need to wear what we're going to do there while we're there you know some of our teachers don't want to hear this but about a month you're really going to be preparing uh, because school will be back in coming back in session and and you're going to be getting that underway. Our, our, underway. our, our students are, are already preparing for fall and winter sports as they're going to camps and they're doing conditionings in the morning and, and they're getting ready for those sort of things. To take this idea of preparation but apply it to the spiritual life because I think sometimes we can overlook that in our spiritual life of preparing for what God wants to do in your life, in my life, in our family's life, in the life of this church, in the life of this community? I mean, on a scale to 1 to 10, and I'm not asking for vocal answers, just to really think about this, how are your preparations for God to do what only He can do in your life? How are your preparations on a scale of 1 to 10 for God to do what only He can do in your life. Obviously, ten being good, one not being so good. But this is the command Joshua gives here in Joshua chapter 3, verse 5. Again, there's the reference. It's going to be up here on the screen here in a second. Verse 5 of the Word of the Lord says, Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Let's pray again together as we are ready to unpack this. So, Father, I again come before you and thank you, Lord, for being the great and awesome God that you are. Father, I, I do not have the wisdom nor the knowledge to speak to every one of your children gathered here this morning like you do. And so, Father, remove me from this equation. Let your spirit be the only thing that speaks to our hearts. Let me not get in the way. Let me not say anything that you don't want said Father, that you alone would be glorified and your kingdom alone would be the only thing that comes in our life in this time. Give us a heart that is seeking after you to see and to understand the depths of your love for us. And Father, move us to this place of wanting a deeper intimacy and a deeper relationship with you so we can continue to shine your glory in this church and this community in our life. Father, I ask your forgiveness on my part as I've been thinking about this question this week and, and my lack of preparation. Instead of preparing for you to do it, only you can do, Lord, Lord, I, I've been trying to do it myself. So as we walk through your word, Father, be our shepherd, guide and lead us to where we need to be. Give us the understanding we need so we can apply it and live it out the way you need us to before we leave here this morning. Forgive us if we failed you in any ways. We've worshipped you and lifted you up through song. But I thank you again for what's going to happen here in the next couple of minutes and in, in your name. And it's in your name that we pray our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going to be walking through this one verse and we're going to be looking at a couple of questions. And I, I brought this up. I, I, I like the, the idea of teaching by really. Like this idea because on summers you can kind of tell if you're visiting with us uh, we have several families in and out throughout the summer and so we kind of have a little bit of a lighter crowd in the summers and it kind of gives us an opportunity to do things a little bit different on sunday mornings uh, where we can kind of engage with one another don't feel like you have to um, uh, oh man i don't have sam in here this morning so somebody i really got to pick it up because sam is not in here to help where i ask some questions but Uh, I want us to walk through. I don't know about you, but the very first time I grew up in church, the very first time I can remember hearing this word consecrate was from the hymn, Take My Life. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord. That was totally out of tune. But anyway, (laughs) did, did anybody ever sing that song? Would anybody be like me? And I'm admitting myself, not understand what you were asking God to do through the act of consecrating you? Oh, that, that, that's me. Uh, I mean, I sang the song, and sometimes we can do that in our own life. We may have done that here this morning where we sang a song, some because the word's on the screen, but not actually realizing what we are singing or asking God to do or how we're praising God in that moment. And that's a shame it, because we're really missing an incredible opportunity, not only to lift up a prayer, but to praise God for who He is. So I want us to understand consecrate. But before we get there, because we're going to spend more time on this aspect of verse 5, is to understand the wonders see joshua says to the people of israel consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the lord will do wonders among you and that word wonder uh, in some translations can be read as marvelous things extraordinary actions something beyond their power it's the hebrew equivalent to the word miracle that we use today so basically what joshua is doing is he's calling the people of Israel to physically prepare for a spiritual outcome of only what God could do in their life. And isn't that what we want to see happen in our life? For God to do what only He can do, not what we can manipulate, not what we can work out ourselves, but what only God can do in our life, in our family's life, in our kids' lives. Grandkids' lives and life of this church, and our co workers and peers, wherever we find for God, have that God interaction where His wonders, His amazing things, His miraculous power intervenes in our life to do what only He can do. I think if we actually think about it, that's exactly what we want in our life. We want the manifestation of the power of God working in and around us. And so, here in Joshua and throughout scriptures, what we see in order for the wonders to happen, there needs to be not only a spiritual but a physical preparation on behalf of God's people. And this is what Joshua was calling the people of Israel to do here in verse 5 with this word, consecrate. The first time Joshua would have, been, uh, in, have encountered this word as far as we know in Scripture would have happened in Exodus chapter 19. In Exodus chapter 19, the people of Israel are led by Moses to the base of Mount Sinai where the Lord is going to engulf the mountain to reveal His holiness and His power. More importantly, reveal His law, His word to the people on this is how I want you to live your life. And this is my holiness, but the law also reveals our sinfulness. Before God reveals His law in chapter 19 of Exodus, He commands Moses to command the people to consecrate themselves for two days. Verse, verse 10 and 11 of chapter 19 says, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the, day, the third day. We need to understand this act of consecrating is not something that we do just immediately. It's not like catching our breath or getting focused. You know, in the last couple years, I've really been doing better as far as working out and taking care of my body. Thank you for noticing, appreciate that. Um, But just really trying to stay active and be healthy. And as I get older, you know, make sure I'm able to continue to do things. And sometimes during workouts, if you are an exerciser person, um, there's a moment during workouts where you're tired, you're worn out, you're, you're, you're exhausted, you want to kind of quit, but the workout is still going on. And so in those moments, I really have to kind of catch my breath gain my focus, see what is about to happen, because I know what is about to happen is going to be extremely hard, it's going to take complete focus and all my effort just to get through it, yet I want that sense of accomplishment. And, and sometimes we think that is what we're doing when we're consecrating spiritually and physically. You know, consecrating is not shoving your kids into the car and coming to church. It's not even just opening up your Bible in a single moment and say, all right, I'm consecrated. Consecrated takes effort It takes time. When you think of the word consecrate in Scripture, think of the word concentrate. It is a complete dedication of time set aside for the purpose of physically and spiritually preparing for God to do what only God can do in our life. And so it's not like catching our breath. It's not like getting focused. The word consecrate in Scripture, and perhaps you read a different word in your your version of the Bible, can also be read as the word sanctify or purify. The act is a physical cleansing to represent a spiritual preparation for the presence of God. In Exodus, the command was to consecrate, to prepare for the Lord's presence, to engulf the mountain and for Him to reveal who He was to His people. The act of consecrating then is to represent a spiritual turning to God and a preparation for a new beginning with God and for God to do something new in our life. Here's what we find here in Joshua. Joshua commands the people to consecrate yourselves. They're preparing for this new beginning with God, this new page of their life, and this new chapter, and for God to do something completely new in their life. But all of this, whether it's Exodus or Joshua or any other time in the Scriptures, the word consecrate is not an act where we can manipulate God, bargain with God, or motivate God to do something. It is to consecrate our hearts, our minds, and our souls to be ready and open and prepared for God to fulfill His promises in our life. And there are some incredible promises that God wants to do when you're in our life, in the life of this church, in the life of this community. But for us as believers, it takes a consecration towards God. Here in in Exodus, and again in Joshua, the reference is to consecrate. To take part in an outward activity, to prepare for an inward openness to God by separating ourselves from things that are unclean or sinful and have the potential to contaminate our relationship with God. Who here can also say there are parts in your life you want to see God do what only He can do in your life? Maybe marriage, family, relationship, kids, grandkids, this church, this community at your workplace, with your peers, with your friends, for God to do what only He can do in your life. This is the command and the call of consecrating. If you're here this morning and you're having an issue with worrying, because that seems to be something that we all get tempted by and we all get plagued by, or maybe you have an issue your worrying has led to complaining, I tend to go in that route as well. Consecrating is the weapon we can use to battle worries and complaints. See, when worries and complaints rise in my life, and I think you, you could probably relate to this as well, typically what happened, when I have a worry or complaint, what I've done is I've made whatever I'm worrying about or complaining about bigger than the God I serve. It becomes more powerful than the God who created the heavens and the earth, more powerful than the God that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, more powerful than the Alpha Omega. And so when I consecrate something, Sometimes it just needs to be my mind. Sometimes it needs to be whatever I'm worrying about. When I consecrate that, I'm giving that to God and saying, Okay, God, you do what only you can do in this because obviously I can't handle it. Because all I'm doing is worrying and complaining about it. So I'm going to consecrate this to you so I can see your faithfulness and your promises come out of this, which will lead me to a place of worship. The question for us is, what are we doing in our life to prepare for God to do what only He can do? What are we doing in our life to prepare for God to do what only He can do in our kids' lives? At our workplace, with our peers and co-workers. You know, I, in high school, I participated in, in two sports Uh, throughout high school, uh, there were other sports available, I just didn't care to do them. I tried track for about a week, and um, I I wasn't a long-distance runner, and I wasn't fast enough to be a short-distance runner, and so they stuck me with shot puts and discus, and I didn't really want to throw things around, so I quit. Um, Yeah, I was a quitter. Happened once. (laughs) (laughs) Football and wrestling, and I love football, still love football to this day. Uh, but those are my two sports because you know the short bursts and 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 there was a lot of aggression built up in me that I could let out in those two sports. But I will admit, if you, I know we don't have wrestling here in Stratford, but if you've ever actually wrestled, wrestled, not like WWE or you know throwing the mattresses down in the basement and doing the elbow drop stuff, wrestled, wrestled. It is one of the most physical, physically demanding sports you can be a part of. I don't, I don't, I mean, I've never ran a marathon, so I can't compare it to that or a triathlon, but in high school that was one of the most physically demanding sports. Well, the problem was wrestling came right after football. Football is a fall sport, wrestling is a winter sport. And so in football my goal was to beef up to about anyway, between 210 to 220. Uh, I wanted to be bigger and stronger and so I wanted to be able to, to deliver a blow. But when wrestling came around, which there was like no overlap, we got a couple days off between one sport to the next, I needed to drop about 30 to 40 pounds in the course of a week and a half. Because I didn't want to wrestle at 210 to 220 because that put me in a heavyweight class. And so I wanted to be about three classes lower because I knew I'd fare better better at that situation. So in about a week and a half, in an unhealthy manner, I would drop about 30 pounds to get into the weight class I wanted to. But I had to prepare for it. I I had to prepare by what I was eating. I had to prepare by the exercises I was going to do. I had to prepare by what I was going to be putting into my body as far as not drinking soda, but only drinking water and only a certain quantity of water. I had to prepare by when going to practice and working out. I never wore a sweat suit. You know, I don't know if you've ever seen those where they kind of look like a big trash bag you wear, but I did wear sweats. And I did sweat, and our wrestling coach would crank up the heat because he knew a bunch of guys were dropping weight, and you would just be drenched. I mean, you would sweat through every single gear and every single sweat that you had on, all for the purpose of putting on some overall tights so you can roll around on a mat with another dude. I, I don't know. It was, just a, it was a cool sport, I guess, but there took a lot of preparation. took a lot of concentration. You had to see the end goal and the end purpose in mind, and this is what consecrating is. And I think so many people get frustrated with Christianity because we don't see the end goal and what God is wanting to do in our life and how He's wanting to be involved in our life and do the things that only He can do in our life. And so we get frustrated. It's kind of like going on a diet but not changing your eating patterns or trying to uh, save money or get out of debt but not changing your spending patterns. You get frustrated and so you quit. And the same thing comes with the spiritual discipline of consecrating. But here's the temptation and here's why all these other words are on here. And this is where I want us to really spend some time so we can understand the purpose of consecrating and why we should do it. The temptation for you and for me in any sort of spiritual discipline or anything God is calling us to, because there's no like real thing, you have to do this. It's not like when you pray, when you fast, when you give. There's no when you consecrate. So we have to know why we want to do it and what purpose we're wanting to see come out of it. But the temptation is we can do these sort of spiritual disciplines to kind of bargain with God or to kind of prove to other people, look how Christian I am or kind of shine our own righteousness or say, "Okay, God, I hope this motivates you to finally do what I want to see happen in my life. And if we do that, we're going to become so frustrated spiritually that we'll walk away. We'll quit. And we'll become spiritually numb. And so, I want to build on this some doctrinal things. And once we understand, and this is going to be really quick, I promise, but once we understand these things, we'll understand that part. When it comes to our salvation, we need to understand that Jesus is the atoning sacrifice. The Bible says He has appeared once for all at the end of all ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. Our call to consecrate is not a means of our salvation, keeping our salvation, showing we deserve our salvation, or proving ourselves to other people that we're saved. Our call to consecrate, to devote something to God in service and worship is in response to what God has done for us in our salvation. Matter of fact, that is everything we are called to do as Christians. To love God, love people, and any other thing you do that you qualify as a Christian is not to prove yourself that you're in fact a Christian or that you're righteous or you're holy, but is in response to this very fact that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died once and for all for all sin, and whoever places his faith in Him, they shall be saved. This is huge because for Joshua and the Israelites here in, in, in the Old Testament, sacrifices were the means in which they remained in a right relationship with God. It was something he did over and over and over again. But if you read the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, you see how Jesus was the high priest and the once for all sacrifice. He offered for all time so that we might come into the, gra- the throne room of grace of God and find mercy. So we don't have to come to church and continue offering sacrifice because Jesus, as the hymn says, paid it all. And he paid it in full and i don't know about you but when i open up my car my wallet i've got this this spot where i've got like 50 billion rewards cards from all the other places in in springfield and gas station anybody have rewards cards galore in your wallet oh you should have a rewards card you would get points you spend like three billion dollars we'll give you five dollars off your next purchase it's like oh yeah that sounds good and so I've got all these rewards cards, and so when they say, well, do you have a rewards card? I'm digging through my wallet every stinking time just to scan this thing, and, and I don't know if I'm getting anything or not. But with our salvation, we have the greatest eternal rewards package in, 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 in eternity. I mean, this cannot be beat. Our faith in Jesus' toning sacrifice Through our faith in Him and accepting Him and Him alone for dying for our sins and rising again, God sees that faith in Christ and Christ alone. And what God does in His holiness, He declares you and I righteous. We're right with a holy God from this point on, the point of our salvation, into eternity The Bible says that for our sake he made him, being Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So you are saved, and God says you're not only saved from hell, but you are now right before me. Exactly where you need to be. And not only do I declare you righteous, I see you because I have clothed you in my Son's righteousness. This is huge when you think about a holy God that came upon Mount Sinai and the people of Israel feared and begged Moses to go up and talk to him. That's the same God we serve and the same God we worship. And that God looks at you and me and our salvation and our confession in Jesus Christ. And he sees only his perfect son's righteousness upon us. You and I know what we wrestle with and I know what I wrestle with and I know I don't deserve that. That's all God sees in me now. His righteousness. And not only His righteousness, but we're now justified before God. That's a legal term that Paul was led to use in Romans chapter 3. It says, "...the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there's no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus." This word justify is a legal term. As as Jesus spoke of, you know, we're going to stand before God, the the ultimate judge of all things. And we're going to be separated between the wicked and and, and, and the righteous. And God's going to declare the judgment. And when I place my faith in Christ, all God sees is I am now justified. It is just as if I never sinned in the first place before the righteous and holy judge. Simply because I said, I believe Jesus died for my sins and rose again. I believe God loves me that much. So God says, all right, you've you've accepted my atoning sacrifice. I declare you righteous. I clothe you in righteousness. I justify you before me. And now I reconcile you back to me. In Romans chapter five, verse one, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have a peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. To be reconciled means I am now back in harmony with God, and I love harmony. I'm not a huge Gaither fan or Southern Gospel fan, but I gotta give them props because when you see a four-piece harmony all singing together, it is incredible. The way they can all sing their parts and it just makes this incredible sound and. That is what, it, just this image of being reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, is I'm now back in harmony with the Holy of Holies. Whoa. I've been reconciled. Not only that, but I've been sanctified. The Bible says, In 1 Peter, you now are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. All of this because God loved me. And here's the thing I think we forget, and what Satan wants us to misplace. is Our righteousness, our justification, our reconciliation, our sanctification, eternally permanent. Nothing we do to deserve it. Christ died for sinners. To consecrate ourselves to God allows me, as that song we sang in the beginning, to begin to have a deeper understanding, to dive into the depths of God's love, grace, mercy, faithfulness. To me, the worst of sinners. Sin blinds me and numbs me Everything God has done for me. Now God has already done this, and so consecrating is an act I do in response to what God has done, because I should have it in me to want to know it, know deeper, more intimately, the mysteries of God. And so even though God has sanctified me, one thing about sanctified is the act of sanctification is an ongoing process. God set me apart, set you apart at your salvation. But now God wants to continue to do the good work in you and setting you apart for holiness. That's what Paul writes in Romans chapter 12 after he unpacks all this stuff about doctrine. Verse 1, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So the act of consecrating is a personal response to the love of the Father And it purifies ourselves, it purifies our intentions, and it purifies our focus. When we decide we're going to consecrate something, we're saying, I'm going to trade in the sinful for the saintly, the common for the miraculous, and the worldly for the eternal. And it's all in response to what God has already done that moves me to a place of worship that's something that is going to be physically and spiritually difficult. It is meant to make us uncomfortable. For Exodus, it was the washing of clothes for two days. For Joshua, it was calling a whole other day. You have to keep in mind, Joshua woke up early in chapter 3. He was excited and eager to go in the promised land, but he woke up early after six days and decided, you know what, we're going to set a whole day aside to consecrate ourselves so that we are physically and spiritually prepared for the wonders that God wants to do in our life. And so a couple ways we can do this, because I mean, we talk about all this, but how do do we do this? How do we get this sanctification through consecration to lead to a holiness? Well, setting aside time in your life to be in God's word, that's a good spot. But not just opening the Bible and reading through it, but actually, okay, preparing my mind and my heart, maybe through prayer or through worship. Or, or just getting away from distractions and say, okay, this time I am consecrating to you, God, to hear your voice, which is written in your word, speak to my heart. So I'm going to block everything out. This is, this is your time. Say what needs to be said. One discipline that I think we, we commonly overlook, particularly here in America, I know I, I have in my own spiritual walk with God, is the discipline of fasting. Typically, when you go to fasting, you, we think of food, which is normal in Scripture. Fasting is taking away something that I've become dependent upon, so my dependence is now focused on God. And so when people fast from food, they, they tend to get hungry, and, and when they get hungry, it's to remind them to turn to God and to pray and to seek after God and to, to worship and to read His Word. But I think there's other things in our life we've become dependent upon, particularly here in America. And not just food. And we love food. I mean, that's, that's why Jamie's probably not going to win me to come into camp because of the food thing. I'm just saying. I mean, if you heard about what they ate at food, we should pray harder about the food. Um, they all survived, but I had a lot better food. You can ask Abby. Um, but we do depend upon food. But there's other things we depend upon in our life. How many of y'all have your phone on you right now? It's not a sin, okay? Not, like, we're not going to like... We're going to consecrate, break the phones. We're not doing that today. Okay, I'm not paying for your phone. But we have phones. If we don't have phones, we have tablets. If we don't have tablets, we have watches. All interrupting. All buzzing us and calling our attention to this and to that. And, oh, wow, you know, what was it last night? Vultures are eating small animals in Tennessee. I mean, whoa, that's, that's, that's got to be worth my time to read. We, but we get so distracted by all these things, we have all these things to pull our distraction to seeing the wonders that God is doing around us. And so maybe something you come to dependent upon is your phone or your attachment to social media. I mean, we say you check Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever thing out there at least four times a day it's okay we're not throwing stones here I mean I know we're justified but that isn't like you know official rock thrower now right Kendrick right. yeah unless you call him sister he doesn't like sister um. but you know getting on and it's just something so simple you can just push a little button and it lights up on your phone or your tablet and you can just scroll through and you can be in other people's lives is what they want how many hours do we spend watching TV a day or sitting in front of a computer just surfing the web which that sort of surfing burns no calories by the way <laughs> how many times do we just do things that we have almost become dependent upon that's making us more dependent on that than the god who wants to speak to us and do marvelous things i have a, a ministry friend and for the last 15 years he's a, he's a pastor last 15 years one month, every year, he, does, he doesn't go on social media. One month, every year, he, he deletes all the apps from his phones, all of his devices. He doesn't engage in anything on that. He, he has someone else post for the church. And, and I think we hear that, you know, would we be willing to give up Facebook or, or phone or social media for a month? And I think some of us, that would cause some panic. I mean, just try it for one day, and you're going to see how many times you're actually looking for your phone. But you know what? We used to communicate without those things. We used to have face-to-face conversations a lot more, didn't we? We used to, if we were going to say something about somebody, you had to say it to your face, and then you had to meet them at the flagpole if they didn't like it, right? And the world still worked. worked. We're still here. Maybe it's sports. I love Stratford, but God has been breaking my heart because I think a God of Stratford is sports. And don't get me wrong, I love my kids in sports. I love going to watch sports, the basketball games, the football games, the baseball games. I love it. I think the school provides an incredible thing for us as a community for engagement with one another and entertainment. But America has made sports a god. Well, we're so dependent upon that to get us through or, or, or to build our kids up. And I'm not saying pull your kids out of sports. I mean, if you want a mutiny at your house, go right ahead. But I'm not saying that. I'm just saying let's put it back in its proper perspective. Even as adults, I mean, we talk about sports more than we'll talk about God with our, our friends and coworkers. Here in a couple of months, we're going to say, hey, did you see that game? What do you think about Chiefs this year? Or the Broncos? (laughs) (coughs) (laughs) Um, um. (laughs) But we, we engage in those things. And maybe we just need to unplug from those things at times. But I, I guarantee you there's something in your life you're so dependent upon that it's keeping you from being dependent upon God that it's blinding you for what God wants to do in your life and around your life and through your life. And this is what consecrating is calling us to do. This is what Joshua is telling people. Before we can go into this land, we've got to be completely focused on who He is and not who we think we are. Consecrate yourselves. You may be here this morning, and this is kind of like, wow, that sounds kind of tough. Again, keep in mind, this is not something to prove our, Christ- our salvation or anything like that, or prove ourselves to God, or, or to maintain you know, our salvation. That's a gift. That's eternal security all right here, signed, sealed, delivered. Maybe here, and the first thing that you need to understand is how much God loves you. In John chapter 17, Jesus spoke to his disciples, and he says, he's praying for them. He says, you know, they, speaking of the disciples, are not of the world just as I am not of the world. He says, sanctify them, set them apart in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. See, God isn't asking us to do something he did not do. Jesus fully consecrated himself to the point of death on the cross. He consecrated himself before a holy God that God would pour his wrath upon him for you and my sin. And you may be here this morning, and this is what you need to hear. God loves you. He offers all these things as a gift to you through his son, Jesus Christ. And if you're here this morning, and you've yet to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it doesn't matter how good of a person you are how many good deeds you do in your life, if you don't have Jesus as your sacrifice, you don't have any of these things, which means you are still in sin before a holy God. But that's not what God wants. He loves you too much to leave you there. And so He's extending an invitation. The Bible says it begins by admitting that I'm a sinner. I fall short. I do things I shouldn't do at times. And that is an offense to a holy God the Bible says, though, if I believe that God loved me so much that he would do all this for me, and I believe that in my heart and I confess it with my mouth, I will be saved. Maybe that's where you are this morning. You need to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if that's you, I'm going to ask you to come down. Just walk down the aisle. I promise you nobody here is mean. We'll all celebrate with you. We'll all love on you. Just come and say, Pastor Mark, I don't want to be saved. And we're going to pray together. Maybe you're here this morning and the Holy Spirit, because I've been praying the Holy Spirit would do what I could not do. But the Holy Spirit has revealed something in your life you've been turning to or depending upon more than God, and it has been blinding you to what God has been wanting to do. Would you be willing to come and kneel before the Father and repent of that and lay that at his feet? Just tell God, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Give me the strength to hand this over to you consecrate this to you it takes preparation physical and spiritual let's pray together father thank you for this day thank you for your love and your mercy lord thank you lord that you know us better than ourselves you know exactly that thing that is keeping us from diving into the deeper mysteries and love and intimacy with you and i pray in this moment your spirit would bring us to a place of conviction but we would just be willing to let that thing that is entangling us from You, to lay it at Your feet. Lord, You are faithful. Your loving kindness endures forever. And as You bring us to this place, You've definitely shown that. Let us be a people who are not just preparing physically by being a church, but preparing spiritually and physically for what You and only You can do here and in our lives give us, and we've been trying to do it ourselves by trying to manipulate the situation. Father, I praise you so much for what you've been doing in my heart this week. I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ now who are hurting, going through a time of trial and temptation. Father, you would show your faithfulness and your promise and your word. Showing them the way out from under it. I pray for my brother and sister in Christ. When your spirit has revealed something that they need to just let go. Lord, in this moment that they would be able to stand before you and bow down before you in courage and in faith. And you will give them the strength to do what you're calling them to do. I pray for those here this morning who need to accept you as their Lord and Savior. Father, when we say the words, amen, that their heart and their eyes would be open to that full understanding. And they would have the boldness just to step out and walk down and proclaim it to all that they believe. Forgive me if I've gotten in your way. Lord, I thank you for this day. We come this time of response. Lord, let us not just be hearers of your word, but doers. I pray all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. I invite you to come. I invite you to stand